Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. We're going to begin here this morning, and we're going to look through a lot of scriptures in the New Testament, so praise you got your Bibles ready, and we're going to go through some scriptures, be edified in the Word of God. Um, we've been talking about the New Covenant works, and I wanted to bring this to an end, possibly and hopefully today, um, exactly what this means, because in our faith and in our walk with Jesus, and we have all been exposed to many things as we've come into this faith, many aspects of religion. However, we've been brought up, some of you have been brought up uh, Catholic, which is steeped in works, and it is only by works that you can hopefully enter into heaven, which you will not by works enter into heaven. Uh, but that is what the Catholic Church predominantly teaches, that it is by works that you're going to be saved. And then you might come into, um, maybe you come from a Baptist background, a Methodist background, and um, Pentecostal background, which also has a lot of overtones of what we might call legalism, um, which promotes and pushes a lot of works that we need to do. Personal sanctification, making ourselves more like Jesus. And so there's an aspect of work that comes to us in our walk with Jesus and I pray and my heart's desire is that you will understand what is the work of the new covenant? How do we labor? What does that look like? Are there things that we should be doing, those of us that are under grace? And so I hope that you're receiving this. And in Romans 4, 16, it says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end. The promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, speaking of the Jewish people, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, speaking of the Gentile people. And so God has established a new covenant that is grounded upon grace. And this relationship now with God is, is in regards to faith. It is not in regards to work. And so you just consider that. Consider on any given day, your relationship with God, even in prayer, you know, you feel so worthy to pray one particular day because maybe you withstood temptation. Maybe you overcame particular lusts that were in your life. Maybe you witnessed to a multitude of people and they got saved. You sacrificed and went on a mission trip and you just feel so holy. And so you feel so worthy to pray that that's a system of works. And the same thing's true that if you failed, you did not overcome temptation, you succumbed to a lust, you should have gone out and witnessed the people, but you didn't go witness the people and you feel so horrible and you feel so bad and how can I pray? How can I be close to God? God must not like me. And every one of us is familiar with that. That is a system of works. And God has delivered us from that. And God has put us in a covenant with him through faith. And this faith means that God is accessible to us regardless of our performance, but because of the performance of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says all of the promises of God are in Jesus, yes and amen. All of them are in Jesus, yes and amen. And so when we have the faith to believe that, then we shall also have the lives that receive that. And so God has always dealt with men on the basis of promise. Even the old covenant was in regards to a promise. 
And the promise was this. God said to the nation of Israel, do this and live. Don't do this and die. That was the promise. And so now out of fear and out of survival, Israel would attempt to live by the law of God, which they could not do. And therefore they would receive God's promise of judgment or God's promise of death. The new covenant is not like that. It's not do this and live or don't do this and die. But the new covenant is believe this and live. And if you don't believe this, you will perish. So it's on the basis of faith and unbelief. And, um, and so if we believe, then we have passed into life and we enjoy relationship with God as our father and we as his children. And so Romans chapter four discusses this is the way Abraham had a relationship with God. And it was through this faith. And so God lays promises out for us. And these promises were established between the Father and the Son. And the Father and the Son are perfectly holy. They are without sin. They are unchangeable. They're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, this covenant between the Father and the Son is an everlasting covenant because both parties have met all of the requirements and neither party is going to fail. And you enter into this covenant by faith in Jesus Christ. And by faith, you are brought in to all of the promises and all of the blessings that the Father makes to His Son, Jesus. If the promises are to Jesus, then the promises are to you. All that He has, He shares with you. He extends it to you. That is an incredible thing. And um, people of grace do say, Amen. Because you know what that means. And people of religion are like, what? Uh, you know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about this. And so it's just really good to be able to have this. And all of this is because of the miracle of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being the third person of the Godhead who has come into our life. This is the work of grace. Every movement of the Holy Spirit in our life is the work of grace. And so we believe the promises of God and we believe that they will be fulfilled. We believe that God sent his word to us and that if we believe that word of God, then we shall find the fulfillment of that. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and I want you to see this in verse 6. This is the chapter of faith. And it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How do you get the reward? Not by works, but by seeking God. And and the focus is not the tangible things that we might get from God. The object of our seeking is God. And we come to God believing that God is true to his promises. He's true to his word. What he said he will do. And so we receive those rewards because we believe. We believe that God exists. We believe that God is true. We believe that God is faithful. And therefore we seek him and we are the recipients of those rewards because our faith in God just brings us so close to the Lord. I wanted to read this to you very quickly. Though there is nothing good in ourselves, and all religious men know this, Multitudes strive to produce some good 
out of their bad lives. It is this pursuit that shuts up the kingdom of God. This effort to produce something good and by that offer to God our worship is the very thing that keeps us from his grace. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. A work of grace is the Holy Spirit coming into your life and disgracing yourself. The highest holiness for the creature is to walk in self-renunciation and continual dependence upon the indwelling Holy Ghost. Nothing but a work of grace can take the man who once wanted to be like God to renounce himself as a complete disgrace and believe that only God is good and greatly to be praised. Read what you will. Confess, repent, fight, discipline, strive, be accountable to people. But unless the Holy Spirit is the life, power, and means, you will fail. You will never pray right without the Holy Ghost. You will never give right without the Holy Ghost. You will never forgive rightly without the Holy Ghost. You will never preach right without the Holy Ghost. You will never overcome sin without the Holy Ghost. Learn all the Bible you want. Study and memorize. Yet you will not be free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that is our hope and that is our belief. And I want to go to Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to read this with me. This is, um, this is now we're beginning to get into our work in the new covenant. What is our work? And in Philippians chapter 2, he tells us in verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you, that's grace, God working in you is grace. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so if you just read verse 12, you're going to maybe get really messed up in a life of religious work. But if you will understand verse 13, then you will understand that this is also associated with Hebrews eleven six. That the pursuit is God. It is to be intimate with the Lord. It is to be intimate with God's presence. God lives inside of us. And it is learning to commune with God in our inner man. It is learning what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. And therefore, when I am intimate with God and I have a relationship with God, and a lot of people don't. A lot of people have a relationship with you know, disciplines, they have a relationship with traditions, they may have a relationship with church, they might have a relationship with the preacher, they might have a relationship with a Bible study teacher. None of that is going to really help you in the long run. The only thing that will help you is a relationship that is intimate with the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And you begin to understand what he's doing in your life. You understand what he's saying to you in your heart. You understand what the Holy Spirit is convicting you about. Things in your life that he's not pleased with. Or perhaps things in his life that he is requiring of you because he's putting it in you. And so in order to do verse 12, you have to have verse 13. 
which is you have to have a work of God's grace going on inside of you so that you have something to work out. There's nothing to work out, verse 12, if there's not God working something in you, verse 13. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do. God gives you the things inside of you that he wants you to do. And then God gives you the will, the power to be able to accomplish it. So that if you actually do begin to work things out of your life, you really can't boast in yourself that you did it. But actually it was the work of God and you just believed that it was so. And you cooperated with God. And you saw God work in your life. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said in that chapter, he said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. But I labored more abundantly than them all. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that was with me. If God is inside of me giving me power... And God is inside of me giving me desire. And God is inside of me actually producing the reality in my heart. And if that becomes a part of my life, can I boast that I did it? Or can I rejoice that God provided these things to me and I believed it and God made it so? So if my prayer life were actually to become a prayer life... That was really effective. Grace did that in my life. But I obeyed that grace. I didn't receive it in vain. I didn't ignore what God was saying to me. I didn't ignore the presence of the Lord in my life. And the light that the Holy Spirit was shining upon me and giving me. And the movings of God in my spirit were not ignored. But oftentimes in religion, that's bypassed because what typically happens is when you come into religion and you come into the church, you typically will have people in your life that begin to tell you how to live. Now, if you're going to be a Christian, this is how you live. This is what the Lord did in me. You know, the day I was saved, I was delivered from smoking. So if you got saved, you should be delivered from smoking. That's what God wants to do with your life. But maybe God's giving you an instant deliverance in something else that this person who's telling you you need to be free from smoking still wrestles with. And maybe you will never wrestle with it again. And so religion wants you to walk in their light. But grace wants you to walk in his light. Grace wants you to participate with the Holy Spirit, not with 50 or 100 or a 1,000 other people who are in your life telling you, if you're a Christian now, this is how you should live. But you should listen to the Holy Spirit because whatever he's telling you to do, he gives you the power to do it. And so I ask you the question, and I love this illustration. Did Peter walk on the water? And the answer is absolutely. He did. Peter walked on the water. But did Peter really walk on the water? I mean, was this something that Peter just did? Was it something that he did on his own? 
Was it something that Peter could walk on the water, beat his chest, look back at the apostles and say, look what I'm doing. I am a great man. I am incredible. I am, I am so close to God. I did it. I got out of that boat. I walked on the water. No, Peter knows that the only possible explanation for me walking on water is the power of this Jesus Christ who is right before me. I would never, I would never be walking on water without Jesus. I would never be praying without Jesus. I would never be entertaining a holy life without Jesus. I would never be forgiving people without Jesus Christ. And that's grace because Peter could not boast in what he was able to do. He boasted in what Jesus Christ gave him the power to do. And that is the work of grace. And that's the difference between that and religion. Because religious men would have gone into the world and told everybody, I walked on the water. And that wouldn't have amounted to much because they're not going to help anybody else walk on the water. And so some guy, because maybe he was a Marine and he loves to get up early in the morning, gets up in the morning at four every morning and says two hours of prayer and reads his Bible and says, if you really want to be holy, that's what you got to do. Get up at four in the morning, pray for two hours, read your Bible. Yeah, but that man might be asleep at eight o'clock in the evening and you're up praying till twelve. I mean, so, so it's not to walk in somebody else's light, but it's to walk in the light of the Holy Spirit and to do the things that the Holy Spirit is provoking us to do. In Second Peter, if you turn here quickly, Peter says in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. That's how grace and peace is multiplied to you. Through the knowledge. This isn't like going to a Bible study and learning. This is intimacy. This is union with God on a personal level. This is Hebrews eleven six, That you believe he exists and therefore you press yourself into his presence by faith. And when you know God and you know God in intimacy, grace and peace are multiplied to you. Some people do have more grace than, than you do. And it's not because God favors them more. It is simply because by that grace, they've exercised their faith to get closer to God than you are. You could be there, but you've chosen not to. And so there are people that have a greater measure of grace and a greater measure of peace in their life. But it's not because they're more favored. They've just exercised themselves in God's grace a lot more. And he says this in verse 3. According as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given to us. You don't earn them. We are given exceeding great and precious promises. And what are these for? These are there so that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so here's God. God is telling us in this passage of Scripture, listen, this is, God would say to us, this is my whole desire. My whole desire is that you would believe that I exist and you would want to be intimate with me. 
that by faith you would pursue me and you would pursue the fact that I'm a faithful God and I'm a good God and I'm a good father. And you would understand that I want to do good things for your life. And so I lay out all of these promises for you. And so Peter says, because we have all of these promises, they're exceeding and great. We should believe them. We should believe that God will actually do these things. And we should pursue the Lord in them. And these are the graces of God. Just like, for example, the tangible things. Just like giving. Just like tithes and offerings. You know, we're watching our world change. We're watching the price of food increase. The price of gas increase. The price of utilities increasing. And there are people that are saying, I can't afford to give my tithes. I say, you can't afford not to. Because you you either believe the promises of God that I will cause all grace to abound to you because you give. Or you just think you're giving money to the wind and therefore you won't get anything back from it. And, 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 and maybe we become beggars at the doors of the world rather than the, living like the children of God who is able to meet all of our needs through all of his provisions. So God gives us all of these promises. Now I want you to go back to Titus which is just before the book of Hebrews. And in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, I want you to see some of these uh, dead works. In Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done. So I want to say something to you. Works of righteousness are dead works. If you think you will work and produce righteousness, you are involved in a dead work and it will damn you. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by his grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. These things I will that you affirm constantly. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So there are works of righteousness that we could be involved in, but they're not going to bring us salvation. Only the mercy of God and the grace of God is the means by which we are justified. But then from that, there are good works that we begin to live in. Going forward in your Bibles to Hebrews 6, he says in verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. We have to go on past this. In chapter 9 of Hebrews, he says in verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, Offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Because when we're living in dead works, 
We're not serving the living God. In Hebrews chapter 10, he tells us in verse 24, this is a good work. Let us consider one another and provoke to love and to good works. There are dead works and there are good works. Going back to Titus chapter 2, I want you to see what we have instructed here. This is a good work. For the grace of God, in verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope. The grace of God teaches us that. And what the grace of God teaches us, and we perform that through faith, those are good works. Whatever comes forth from our life as a result of God's grace is a good work. But whatever we do out of our own flesh and our own energy and our own ability, that is a dead work. The effort to try to make ourselves holy is a dead work. The belief that Jesus has been made unto me holiness is a good work. And that belief is a good work. In James chapter 2, right after the book of Hebrews, we are told this. And and he refers back some to Abraham and works. In James chapter 2 verse 14. What does it profit my brethren? Though a man says he has faith and has not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. But listen, works was not first, but faith. And where there's true faith, it shows itself through works. Yes, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? So you see that how faith wrought with his works and by works faith was made perfect. And so it is an utter impossibility For us to go around trying to assure ourselves we're right with God. And we have a relationship with God through faith and grace. And we have no works in our life that testify to that salvation. The evidence of a born again life is a changed life. The evidence of God's grace at work in a person is the fact that God's grace has changed that person. What does Titus 2 say? That grace becomes your teacher. And grace teaches you how to deny ungodliness. And grace teaches you how to live righteously and soberly and godly in this world. Not just in the one to come. And so that changed life, that life of faith is the testimony that grace has truly come to me. But it's not I that do it. 
It's grace that is at work in me that is doing it. Oh, I just pray that you understand that. Very quickly, go to Romans chapter 3. And I want you to see Paul when he says in, in verse 27. Romans 3.27, where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is there a contradiction in the Bible? Absolutely not. Paul is not contradicting James. James is not contradicting Paul. James does not start with works, but James starts with faith and says that the evidence of faith is the work. And Paul simply complements faith and understands that there will be the testimony of a changed life that results from that faith. And he says in verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. And there's one God. And then he says this, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. We establish a way of living. But that way of living is the result of faith. It is not the results of our works of righteousness. And so I want you to see the work. What is the work? What is the good work that we must do? What is the good work of the new covenant? And this is found by Jesus in John chapter 6. And I want you to read this with me. This is the words of the Lord. And Jesus says in John 6 verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he sent. That's God's work. That is God's work. It is to believe on Jesus Christ and it is to trust in him. I would give you the whole chapter of or the whole book of first John, which is a book about love and our need to love one another. But I want to refer you to second John, which Maybe we rarely ever turn to. But in his epistle there, John says in Second John, verse 5. And now I beseech you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. That's the commandment, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it, in First John chapter 3, he says in verse 23, this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. That's it, guys. That's it. And why is love promoted as the work of the new covenant? Because inside of love is every other element of this nature of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is love, which is joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and meekness and long-suffering and temperance. All of that is in love. 
And when, and, and when a person has come to a mature stature of love, then there's nowhere else they can go in their maturity in Christ. Because they are now living in that love, which is the desire and the goal of grace. And that's to make us these apostles and these disciples truly of love. And I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2. And, and I must be quick now. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, this is very, very important because we're talking about the changed life. And we're talking about the new covenant and the new covenant works, which is to believe God. It's to believe the promises of God are true. It's to believe that God will do what he said. It's to believe that if I put my faith in God, he'll do it. It's to believe that God who's working in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure, I can actually work that out of my life by faith. It's to believe these things. But all of the work is God. And so he says this, and I want you to see in verse 6. He says, God has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he... Not you. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. He does that. Your obedience to him, your faith in him, your intimacy with him will certainly produce this. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The grace and the faith is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's why Paul said to the Romans, where's boasting then? Is it according to the law or works? And he said, God forbid. And if it was to works, we could all boast. But it's not with works, it's the law of faith. For we are his workmanship. Not the churches, not your mentors, not your spouses, not your parents. You're his workmanship, if you want to be. And when you are his workmanship, you are created in Christ Jesus to what? Good works, not dead works. You're created to good works. You have a new life. A new faith, a new disposition, a new heart, a new man in whom the Holy Spirit lives. And now you are created now to live in good works that God created you for. You can't boast in that. You can't boast in anything about the goodness of your life. You can only rejoice in Jesus Christ who delivered you and saved you and filled you and does these things through you. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus on two good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And so it's the work of God. All of it is the work of God. The apostle Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God for if if grace comes or, or, or redemption comes through my works, then Jesus died in vain. So I celebrate that what God has done in my life. And if we can conclude in Romans chapter 9, 
And we're going to finish this today with with these scriptures. In Romans chapter 9, verse 9, he says this, For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also has conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calls. This was the dispensation that God was bringing us into. In verse 16, so then it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but it's of God that shows mercy. This is where people get off into Calvinism, which this is not teaching. In verse 30, he says, what shall we say then? Listen to this, that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, not the righteousness of works, not works of righteousness, but the righteousness which is of God by faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, which is Jesus Christ. Chapter 10, verse 2. I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness... And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Praise God. And Moses described the righteousness of the law. You have to do everything and nobody did. But the righteousness of faith. Verse 6 speaks on this way. Say, not in your heart. Who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Who will descend into the deep? That's to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth, in your heart. That's the word of faith which we preach. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. How wonderful. How within everybody's grasp to be able to have the righteousness and the salvation of God. But the problem is men will continue to go about trying to establish their own righteousness. Which Paul goes on to say, listen guys, you Gentiles, be careful. Because God cut the natural branches off because they didn't believe. And if you don't believe, God will cut you off. You go back to Moses. You go back to works. God will cut you off. He cut the natural branches off. Don't think he won't do it. So you need to continue to believe. You need to continue to rest your faith in the hope of God. And live by the grace of God. The word of faith. And believe God for those things. Be intimate with God. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Let the grace of God affect you and produce through your life everything that God wants to have. And I say this last thing as I close. I think one of the most tragic things of our day today 
is how unimportant this is. Most people don't even bring them to church anymore. So sickening, sad, because these are the promises of God. And most people, and maybe a lot of you guys, you don't even read it, much less study it. And if you're not intimate with this, you are not intimate with him. And this is his book of promises. You don't even know what to believe for. So I exhort you, beloved, if you love him, cherish his word. For this is a living grace by which God gave you something you can put in your hands, you can open on your table, and you can look into the face of God. And the grace of God from this book can actually affect your whole life. But not if you don't get into it, study it, know it, love it, believe it. This is the book of his promises. This is every good thing I want to do for you through my son, Jesus Christ. Everything. All you got to do is believe. You don't even have to understand it. Just believe it. And it's yours. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you have delivered us from dead works. And you have, by your grace and your power, brought us into a life of good works. To believe in your son, Jesus, and to love. And that is the, the staple of the new covenant. To believe in your son, Jesus, and to love. And I pray that by the power of your grace, the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, that we would live changed lives, sanctified lives, holy lives, because grace is teaching us how. I pray, God, that we would love your word. I pray that we would love you. I pray that we would know your word so we won't be deceived by what's going on and being taught all around us today. But also, we could know you and know your promises and believe them. I'm just going to give you a few minutes, if you will, to just sit before God for just a moment as Carla plays a song. And I want you to sit before the Lord, and I just want you to consider this one thing. How intimate are you with the Holy Spirit who is inside of your life? He has come in you to show you everything about Jesus, to tell you everything that he hears. He's come to equip you. He's come to encourage you. He's come to love you. How intimate are you with him? What is he doing with your life? I'm not asking what everybody else wants you to do or be. I'm not even asking what you want to do or be. But what does he want you to do? What does he want you to be? Because that right there is the power that's available to you to do that, to be that, all of his grace. So just for the next minute or two, just sit before the Lord, come before the Lord, open up your heart before God and let him have his work in you.